Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. All right, welcome back to the podcast, guys. I want to apologize for taking two weeks off in November. It was a 2020 kind of month. So today I had Travis come back on. We're going to do Thanksgiving leftovers and talk about something that we are planning for 2021. So welcome to the show, Travis. It's been a little bit since you've been on. So tell us what you've been up to. Uh, yeah, it has been a while since you and I have done this formally, but we see each other every week and we're good friends now. So it doesn't feel like we've been apart. And you shouldn't feel bad for taking a couple weeks off. Uh, You deserve it. You've been working really hard, and it's been a hell of a year for you, too. So uh, as a big fan of the show, I'm excited to be on with you, and I'm grateful for all the shows from this last year. So uh, I have been busy, uh, like you, with uh, BS and Beer Show. Uh, We still try to do the the local uh, BS and Beer KC. uh, Has virtual stuff going on, so we're doing that monthly. Um, In fact... We just had a really, really good one with Justin Fink and Christine Williamson, so I'm sure FHB will put that up pretty soon. Um, but we've been busy with that. And then, of course, my company, Catalyst Construction, with my partner, Joe Cook, we have been really busy, just like everyone else in our industry. And then I've got a couple of friends that I uh, care about that have home projects that I feel like they're in a dark space and they need <laughs> they need the light that I can bring. So uh, uh, my friend Jake was trying to get moved into his house. And so my friend Isaac and I went and helped him knock out punch list a couple weeks back. And that was really rewarding because Isaac's really, really, really good at this. Uh, He's way faster than I am. And so I'm always like, how how do you do that so quickly? Like trying to pick his brain on the drive. And then like today I'm over at my my lumber salesman, Cameron, uh, at McCray Lumber. Shout out to Cameron. Uh, McCray Lumber uh, salesman and friend of mine. He, uh, of course, has um, <laughs> purchased a house and is trying to get moved in before the birth of his first child, which is an excellent pressure cooker that so many of us are so familiar with. Uh, like, oh, yeah, this would be great. We need more space for our family. What would be great for my wife in her pregnancy would be if we had to relocate, <laughs> redesign a house, take on a massive economic burden. And oh, by the way, if you would not be around because you're working on the house at all hours of the night. I could just suffer needlessly on my own. That sounds great. Thank you. Uh, so there's a lot of that going around and that's what I'm doing today. I'm going to try and help him get a beam lifted today. Uh, but not until after you and I get to catch up on all the fun stuff that we've been talking about doing and didn't quite have the time to do. So Thanksgiving leftovers. I'm in. All right. Awesome. Yeah. I think that I tell people all the time, don't get married, buy a house, have a baby. Don't do all those things or any of those things all in the same year. Like it's too just, much. it's just too much. It's overwhelming. And uh, people don't realize how much work. Now I, I would assume your lumber salesman probably has a bit of an idea, but a lot of people don't realize how much work goes into building or renovating your house and how many decisions that you have to make. And it can get, a little crazy really fast and I can't imagine being pregnant and having to make all of those decisions. I feel terrible for his wife. She's, I feel terrible for my wife still and we haven't had a child for seven years and still I feel badly like oh we had the roof of our house off we were adding a second story addition and quite literally a storm came while we were trying to nail up the tarp and blew the tarp off and 
she's standing, I think like six or seven months pregnant in the living room. And all of a sudden water's just pouring through the ceiling and she's crying. And This is all my fault. I'm, I'm a terrible like, husband and a crappy father. She's like, that. Travis, why did we decide to do this? <laughs> <laughs> my wife is a saint. And I think Cameron's wife is probably going to have to go that, that same path because he, he is a, he's a great lumber salesman. He spent a lot of time working for Habitat for Humanity uh, before he was working with McRae. And uh, so he, know, he knows the deal. But just like any of us, we all have those, uh, those big dream uh, enthusiasm pushes where you're like, oh, no, I can do this. I'm fired up. I'm going to go in there gangbusters. and I'm going to demo this wall in 20 minutes. And two hours later, when you're just getting the trash can to try and pick up the plaster before you even started tearing out the, the studs, you're like, yeah, I'm just really tired like uh, I mean I worked a full day and I just got here after work and I'm just I'm kind of dragging and diminishing returns are a real problem on home projects because you can't get a break from it there's nothing but burden all around the weight of the world and your family rests on your shoulders along with all that plaster dust it's terrible <laughs> I think that we should give a big shout out to all of the spouses significant others uh partners of anyone who is in the built environment I think my husband might be a saint as well um first of all we don't do projects together I made him look at 50 houses before I was willing to live in this one right people ask us all the time why don't you build a house and I was like "Ooh, I don't know if the two of us can build a house together we're gonna start with one that's existing right this is our third house um but we were moving he got transferred in December. So we were moving in December. We needed a house to live in. I made him look at 50 before I was willing to live in this one. And then as you can see from the Instagram posts and stuff that we put on there, um, I'm like, oh, I only want to make a couple of changes. It has some great flow. And he's like, you literally want to change everything. You want to <laughs> touch like everything. And no lie on my Instagram post, he almost killed me this summer when I turned the boiler off and I was like, you know what? I kind of don't care if it doesn't work. And then he's like, um, it's getting cold and we're going to need to heat soon. And you don't know if that's going to turn back on. I'm like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> so laissez-faire. Didn't you like famously like coin flip on what state you live in? Like yes. you're just, you were a very strange decision maker we, for being so smart. You're very much like, oh, let's go. Let's make it work. I, I don't know exactly how, how I got to this decision-making process. Uh, but we, we have a, um, we have a coin flip. We have a half dollar that we take places with us and we coin flip on lots of things as the, as the decision, it's called the decision maker. He leaves it in his wallet. We carry it around. Right. Um, <laughs> Never know I, when you're going to need to make a decision. You got to have it. I also think I have probably the most uh, even tempered, easygoing father in the whole world. Right. So I think I can give this one to him and um, nothing is ever a problem. Everything is always solvable or fixable um, with either enough time, enough money, enough patience, enough whatever. And so for me, whatever decision gets made can, can definitely work. Obviously there are some things I want to move off of fossil fuels and do, do all of those, uh, those things. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't get upset about a lot of things. It's, yeah, it's not worth it, especially in 2020. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. That wisdom uh, that you're drawing on now is huge applications this year. Enormous, <laughs> enormous benefit to you and, and Frank. Yeah. Ooh, and sure so I just had faith. I had a lot of positive faith that either I could 
turn the boiler back on and have it not be an issue, which is actually what we did. We turned it back on, we cold started it. So now it doesn't fire up all the time just because it wants to be warm um, while we're working on transitioning out of uh, fossil fuel, you know, heating oil. Uh, and the more I talk to the master Christoph, the more I think like, okay, well, what is the next, like, am I being short-sighted by making a decision on this? Like right now, like, should I really think about it? So doing a little bit more research limping along the systems that we have working on indoor air quality. Cause reading the healthy buildings book makes me uh, a little bit nervous. About, Gives me nightmares. Yeah. Right. Indoor air quality. Like, oh my God, what, how? And the fact that science has known about this for a really long time and we've been building for hundreds and hundreds of years and we're just like, eh, maybe we'll think about that someday. Oops. Yeah, that's uh, the irresistibility of the, uh, the tangible proof, uh, which always outweighs what we've researched and actually learned. Like I was, again, the demo uh, of that wall that I was over at today. Cameron was like, hey, there's, a, there's this fibrous wrap around this ductwork. Do I need to worry about that? I was like, yep, that's asbestos. That's going to get into your lungs and never get out. So we got to wet it. We got to wrap it. We got to remove it real careful. Do not make it friable. And I said, yeah, that, that, all that, this is true. But just, just so we are honest with each other, uh, I drove here on a street that was just getting paved and the off-gassing from the, the asphalt probably did more damage than what this one piece of ductwork is going to be if I pulled it out and don't lick it. So perspective it, it is important. You know, I'm going to ignore the research in the moment and remove this piece of ductwork with my face mask and gloves and assume that I'm going to be okay. I think, <laughs> you know, as, as <laughs> definitely just make sure you're not doing that all the time. Every day, it's just right. this one piece of ductwork uh, yes. then multiplied by every day this year and every you know uh, there's but you, you get my point though about the perspective of the like we're super fired up about air quality right now uh in our community but it kind of reminds me of uh i think it was jeff speck on uh on the unbuild it podcast with jake and peter who was saying that all of the good that we do with our uh, our carbon neutral materials and all the wonderful things that we're we're working toward to improve car, you know, uh, carbon negative, actually. Uh, we need to remember that if we decide to put that cabin in the woods and we have to drive into the office every day, we undid every bit of green building in the first year. It's like, think, oh, well, that's good perspective too. It was, it was really interesting. Um, a couple of podcasts ago when I was talking about, about building science with Bronwyn, she yeah. said, you know, we have this tendency to look at everything in a silo, right? And so the same thing is, is, important when you're looking at beyond just the the built environment the site and everything just like you said is if you have to drive and you've got some gas guzzling vehicle or you know i think i brought up um brought up on the show this week is that sometimes combustion appliances are worse than electric depending on how your electricity is produced which was you know something that you posted in in your post which is you know you have a lot of natural gas it's very common where you're at but your electricity is produced by coal and is really expensive and so switching to an all-electric house is a going to cost you a lot more money and b not going to be better environmentally we don't want the coal power plant producing more now 
we want to move towards more renewable energies across the board, but that's a much, much bigger picture than yes. what we're doing. And, you know, here in Maine, none of these decisions happen in a vacuum. We're, we're totally up against like, you have to actually do the research and actually weigh it out, which I had to admit in that post. I was like, someone who's done this research is probably going to correct me on this immediately. <laughs> but I think <laughs> that I'm doing as little damage as I can. And that includes my economic damage in my household in that equation. Exactly. So, I mean, there's just so many more factors that you have to think about with absolutely every decision that you make, you know, um, people ask us all the time about renovations and I know you do a lot of renovations, but if you're going to renovate something and you're going to create a bunch of stuff that's going to the landfill, is that better than, you know, continuing to like, what, where's the tipping point between what you're doing and what you have to put into something that's existing to make it better and the opposite direction. Now, obviously when you're starting new, that's a totally different conversation. You know, it's a, um, on the podcast before people have heard me say like, I, I hate windows, right? They're just, it's just <laughs> doing too many energy audits for too many years and people replace their windows and they think this is, you know, the end all be all. And I'm like, yeah, no, uh, it's like the last thing I'm going to recommend that you do once you've done all the other things, you know, then it makes a big deal. But um, it's, it again goes back to that whole like silo thing, right? It's like they, they, this is pretty and I like this window and I want to right. do this. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not what I'm going to recommend. It's you that do. tangible proof thing again, because right. when they walk into the house, they get to see the aesthetic of the window. And if they walk by the window and it's cold outside and they feel that cold, they're like, Oh, we got to do something about these windows. It feels cold right now. Right. Like, yes, that's true. And this is a, I don't want to say it's an argument because I'm 100% in the camp of yes, you should do the best. I'm, I'm a pretty good house disciple. I want to do the best that the budget will allow. I want to make as much improvement until it stops making sense. But I also have this good friend uh, in part of the Lawrence BS and beer, um, Neil, the guy's a rocket scientist. He's brilliant. And he's a custom builder. uh, And I asked him specifically, I was like, so your assemblies are super practical. Like he's using, uh, I think mobile home water heaters in his houses with recirculating pumps and like all these little, super smart modifications like no 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 this this is he's totally a numbers guy it's all about return on investment he's like this smaller piece of equipment will go ahead and do my radiant heat system and it meets the load for my wife and i so this is all i need it's a smaller appliance the cycle times are short he's thought it all through and so uh, i was at a thing with him um and we were talking about window rep and after the rep moved on i was like so so what windows do you use in your build neil he's like cheapest ones I can get like no you know like exactly like hand over my mouth gasp surely not he goes well you know not really the cheapest cheapest but he goes honestly the difference for our builds from the the r4 to the r6 the return on investment's not there he goes I I want a window that doesn't leak air and he goes if the that means two panes and it's got um you know, a fiberglass frame. I think that's great. I think it's a great window. It works good on all my builds. I don't have any callbacks. And honestly, most windows aren't going to last in our climate for long enough to ever pay for themselves anyway. 
So making that improvement for me and my builds doesn't make sense. And I recount, I, I recounted this story uh, at the Midwest Building Science Symposium. I got all these, you know, great people around. Everyone's talking and trading stories and we were talking windows. And I retold this story and one of the guys that, uh, <laughs> that was in the group, he got as upset as I did like the first time I heard it. And I bet every month I get an email from him like, hey, here's some more data on why that's not true. And you should definitely be using better windows. And here's the diagrams showing you like, hey, great build. Too bad you used junk windows. And now your performance is really at an R9 in your wall. So, and he's not wrong. He's totally right. Uh, he's a great builder in Colorado. He does some really nice high performance stuff. And he is exactly right. Unfortunately, Neil is also right. The return on investment is not really there because of the economics of it. So if you ignore economics and you just want to do the most good, which is something that I really think is important for all of us, we're all trying to, at least the people that I run with, we're all trying to do the most good. Everything we touch, we want to make it as good as it can be. It wants to last as long as possible. We want it to serve the occupants to the best of its ability and also be respectful of the environment and honor the resources that we're drawing out to make that. So all those things matter until you go, oh, but if I do that, then they can't afford to buy the house crap. Now we just cancel the project because we really want this high-end assembly. So you got you to gotta, you gotta ignore the, the drafty window every once in a while, right? And do the most good. Honestly, <clears throat> the drafty window, well, hopefully not drafty, right? We've got to do right. <laughs> a little bit better, you know, and there are, are changes that you can make to the style of the window and some fixed windows. And in my personal design philosophy, it's all about where the windows are located and what their performance is not um, not based on um, the performance of the window, because you're right, you know, the difference between R4 and R6 is it, like, it's never going to pay for itself. Windows will never pay for themselves. But if they're located so that they take advantage of the view, they make a smaller space feel bigger. There, there's so many ways to incorporate windows so that you have fewer of them. Then maybe you can spend a little bit more. Then the R value of your wall goes up and there's different. So, um, and you know we're starting to get to the point shout out to steve at performance building supply is his windows really are not more expensive there are two issues with them that we have to overcome with homeowners one they open in which homeowners just have a really hard time understanding that concept but most people actually just use their windows for ventilation and they tilt in. So it's really not an issue. Like most of the time, the only time it's all the way in is if you're cleaning it, right? Cause I don't know who cleans windows, but some people do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then um, the other issue is, and this is a problem across the whole building industry, right? Is um, it takes sometimes eight to 14 weeks to get them, right? And so you have to have planned ahead, right? And in our need this tomorrow, need this, you know, if you have a mistake that you missed, that you didn't go over it like Steve Basic with his red marker. So everybody on the team knew what you're doing and somebody could catch it because, you know, we all make mistakes, right? You, it's the same thing when you write something, you read, you hear what you think you wrote, not always what you actually wrote. So somebody else should, should read it. It's the same with architecture, right? You see what you understand the building should work. And sometimes there might be something that's somebody else catches there on their first try. If you make a mistake and you have to get another window and you have to wait 14 weeks for it to show up, that is a major delay. So 
So in fairness, those are the two kind of hard parts, but cost has kind of been taken out of the equation now. And with the triple pane windows, we in the Northeast have something that's great, which is it resists condensation a lot better, right? And so now we're starting to talk indoor air quality and moisture and how moisture is the enemy of all this stuff is the condensation resistance of that European triple pane window is so much better. So that, but that's, that's not a, um, that's not a tangible cost to you on day one, right? So you don't know how much that's going to cost you after. And so again, it goes back to that whole, oh my gosh, it, you may never have a moisture issue in your house because you put in proper ventilation and you've controlled it and you're smart and you got Nikki to size you a proper dehumidification system. And then that reduces the need to handle it with your windows also, right? So there are so many different, like, my catchphrase, it depends, right? It depends on how you handle the situation. You just need to know you need to handle it. And that cost isn't something that I'm thinking about on day one when I move in, right? So it, it can make or break a project. For sure. The other thing that we have to really, um, I guess you'd say, like, battle against uh, to a certain extent is what people are willing to accept. So none of my clients are willing to accept a shoddy finish on something that is tangible appearance. If they walk into the room and let's say I skipped drywall sanding, you know, like, oh yeah, we mudded it. We just didn't sand it. No one's going to accept that. That's a ridiculous assertion. However, if they walk into a finished house and I'm like, yeah, we put in these windows that uh, I got at the Habitat Restore that were taken out of a, a 1910 uh, Foursquare. And they're beautiful. They're like, those are awesome. And you go, yeah, I mean, they look, they look great. Uh, we're going to have to do some incredible magic with some exterior storms to actually make them perform. I'm like, oh, well, I, I'm not super interested in that. I'm like, you will be, you know, uh, <laughs> first winter, first summer, whatever, you would be interested because they are used to crummy comfort. Everyone here accepts crummy comfort because that's what we've had growing up. Um, you know, unless, unless these folks are very affluent or they're, if they're from uh, a different part of the world where things are um, more focused on these comfort standards, it's almost like, uh, okay, so we, we all partied in our late teens and, and college years. And then, you know, you'd get like an hour of sleep and then you'd be fine. You just go to class and, roll out the next day, get through your work day. Like I'll catch up on sleep this weekend and that's fine. Um, so that goes away, <laughs> uh, pretty rapidly as you age. And so then all of a sudden when people are like, Oh yeah, yeah we're just not going to sleep. We're going to do this road trip. And you know, it's a, you know, guy's trip. We're going to just drive through the night. Well, yeah. In your thirties, you're like, Oh yeah, it'd be all right. And in your 40s, you're like, no, we're definitely going to go ahead and stop somewhere. And I'm going to sleep in a bed and I'm going to take a shower the next morning and I'm going to stop for my coffee before we get on the road. And all those things are going to be non-negotiable because that level of comfort is what I'm used to now. And if you take it away, I feel it. In my 20s, I didn't feel it. That's the same mentality. It's the exact same part of the brain, I think. I'm not a neurologist, I'm a builder. But I think it's the same part of the brain that when you introduce a client into a super comfortable space unless they've felt that tangible discomfort and had immediate comparison to comfort in the same space and it's become tangible for them, they cannot comprehend it. They are not worried about the super high end window that doesn't leak because in their mind, 
it just didn't leak in my old house. I mean, I guess maybe I put on a sweater when I was there in the winter. I don't remember that though. Like it has to, it has to be a, like a, a leverage point where they've been hating it for so long, like a crappy kitchen design. Like, Oh yeah, I've got this galley kitchen that there's only uh, 28 inches between the two sides. So we can't fully open the range or excuse me, the oven or the dishwasher. And we can only work in there one person at a time. If you've lived through that kitchen for eight or 10 years, you will never, never have that kitchen again. You will resolve that design problem immediately. It will be a top priority. And that's what we need to have happen with performance issues because people have gotten so comfortable with, in my market, wet basements. Like if I tell someone that I can make their basement dry and comfortable and I'm going to put some under slab insulation down, we're going to do a little bit of comfort board 80 here. We're going to throw down some stego and you know, it's going to be another seven grand, but dude, it's going to be so nice in your basement. Like, uh, I don't want to put that money in my basement. I don't care about it. Like, are you serious? Like it could be a dry, comfortable space that's warm and comfortable on your feet. And like, it's, it's really good, good use of your money. Like, I just don't see it. it you know, it's fine. I mean, what am I, I put my Christmas tree down there. What do you want? That's where the boxes go. I don't care about that. I don't want to spend money on it. Yeah, no, that that is true. Um, that when I was doing auditing, and I would walk people through their house, right? So, so most people who have ever had an energy audit done in their house, right? So they had some kind of forethought; they wanted to save money, or they were cold or drafty or something. Decide to have an energy audit. They follow you around, so it's just like verbal dialogue for two and a half hours as you walk through the house, and you go to the basement, and <clears throat> you try to make people feel better about themselves. So you're just like. Don't worry, the cobwebs are not a sign of your ability to clean your house. That's air leakage. So now all of a sudden they're looking at the cobweb. They're like, oh, okay, right? They're, they're interested in it. I was like, do all of your flowers come up really early in the spring? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, that's because instead of heating upstairs with this heating system you have down here, you're heating it through your foundation wall and out to your flowers. I was like, and as beautiful as those flowers are, yeah, we can help with that. And so... But yeah, we have to start talking about things differently, right? Because because it is that they know the things that they can see, right? And the basement, I just nobody's hanging out in there. Um, my favorite thing to do in some of my classes is to ask if anybody has been in their own attic, right? Not a lot of hands go up. Not a lot of people have been in their own attic. They have no idea what's going on up there. <laughs> That's just I appreciate like that. no man's land. <laughs> well, that's how we want it. As builders, I'm constantly telling people, please don't go up there. You don't please have any business the up there. Because what usually happens is they don't get the door set back right. They go up there because they're like, this is found storage. This is where I'm going to keep the Christmas tree. And I'm always like, this is the worst place to keep anything. If you care about it, don't ever put it up here. I had a client who wanted to spend in a, the most affluent neighborhood that we work in who wanted to spend a fair amount of money with us to build in um, a secondary floor system on top of the existing ceiling joists so that we could protect the insulation and then a bunch of shelves in the attic. I was like, what would you store up here? Help me understand what it is that you think belongs in the attic. Because it was also an elaborate house with fancy trims and we had to do a very, a unique situation for the attic access ladder. Nothing is going to be conveniently carried up into this space. So it's like, are we talking about, like, I, I need to understand, you have a, a Civil War cannonball collection that you are thinking this is a good storage space for because it's not heated or cooled. We have, I mean, I'm in climate zone four. So we get wicked humidity. 
we get sub-zero, we get 100 plus, and we get it all the time, and it changes a lot. So I'm, I'm wearing shorts today. Uh, we're what, a few days from Christmas? It was, you know, it's going to be 49 degrees later today. Uh, and I was working, so I'm wearing shorts. But last week, it was 70. And this coming week, it's going to be 28. And then I bet by Christmas, I'll be wearing shorts again. So that space is not to be storing anything that you care about. Like if you have a dead body you need to hide, okay, maybe the attic, but only if you've got a really good air barrier on the lid, right? right. Uh, <laughs> so I, I am very firmly entrenched in saying the attic is not for anything except for storing your insulation, maybe. Depends on how, like not for your doctorwork, not for anything else. It's for structure and insulation. Exactly. And so, so I've done a lot of audits. You've done a lot of renovations. How many attics have you been in that haven't also had furry friends at some point? right? There's always evidence, always There's evidence, always evidence of something up there. So you would never put anything up there that you would actually ever want to use or touch again. <laughs> right. So. Do you want to bring it back in from the attic? Cause if you ever want to bring it back in, don't ever put it there. Cause it should never, you don't want to touch that again. It's you don't want to touch that. You're right. And so that I always love that, uh, the article that Allison wrote then too, which is like, are you breathing possum? Right? right. So it's that same relationship to, to explaining, you know, he explains it from, from the air quality perspective. I always, uh, explain it from a thermal perspective. If you go out in the winter time, you always wear a hat and boots, right? They're the two most important places. Start in those two places. It is never going to be the place that you should ever see once you've done it correctly, right? Stay out of these places afterwards. Right. Um, but you got to kind of do them correctly when you're, when you're working on it so that you can stay dry and warm and, you know, humidity and, air quality and all of those things. As I say that, as you would not post your billow door, but I will say mine, I, mine's 8.5 ACH and there is a hole in my ceiling. And I fully admit, I am aware of it. I know it's there. Um, I don't do electrical. So <laughs> I need my husband to move the electrical that somebody previously just decided was better on the bottom side of the joist. So the electrical runs underneath it so that there's no way to put a piece of sheetrock on. Um, but uh, I thought it was funny what you said earlier, people don't want to, uh, to have poor quality. So when, when someone says they wanna save some money and they wanna do some things on their own, um, I always 100% recommend that they do not do their own sheetrocking because that is super obvious. Um, yep. I mean, I've patched a couple of holes in my day, but I would never hang my own sheetrock. There are guys that do that and there's a reason why they're good at that. And they're affordable. That's the thing. Like people that specialize tend to be extremely fast and that's how they make their money. So like, you know, we still self-perform our insulation because it, it makes a lot of sense for us and we still hang a lot of sheetrock because it makes sense for us, but not once we get past an addition and into a full house. We're right. too slow as a crew of four. If I have, even on some of our additions, we don't self-perform it because I can have a crew of eight guys show up in the morning. It's hung by noon. It's scrapped by four. And then the next day we're taping. Now, if we hang it in house, we might get half of it hung the first day. We're all sore. The next day we're moving super slow and we're grinding it out. And by the end of the second day, we got it all hung, but oh, we got to tape it the next day. Like you lose a whole day in the schedule. The money doesn't make sense for a homeowner. We've got a project starting in February that we just met with the client yesterday. And they're like, ah, you know, I hate to do this, but no, we haven't even really started yet, but can we add something? Like, okay, yeah, well, there's always a bunch of, while you were here, it's fine, let's do it. What do you want to do? Let's talk about it now. We'll get it into the, 
basically, Joe and I don't like to write change orders. We just don't. It's irritating to have to spend any time in the office at all. We like to build stuff. I want to get in and get started. So let's get as far away from the paperwork as fast as possible. Let's, let's get to building. They wanted to frame in a couple of walls in the basement, hang drywall, maybe put in a couple of outlets. And they're like, you know, we were going to do this ourselves, but I think you guys probably won't break the bank adding it. I mean, I guess maybe could you show us the numbers separate? And Joe and I were just like, no, 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 we're, we're, we're going to do this. You're going to be much happier because it'll be framed in a day. It'll be rocked when the rest of the house is full of drywall dust. There will be drywall dust here. And this will be the bane of your existence if you try to do this yourself. You won't even be able to get the sheets of rock down the stairs. Like let the pros do it. They'll do it faster. It'll actually be cheaper if you value your time at all. If you don't value your time at all and you can work on it endlessly, okay, then it can make some economic sense for you. But I mean, that's why I don't work on my cars anymore. I have these two classic Jeeps that I love and I've got to get rid of them because I'm never going to work on them. It doesn't make any sense. I'm really bad at it. I'm a crummy mechanic. And so I should just, you know, go hang crown molding for an afternoon for somebody and then go pay the mechanic. And that's what I do. It's just, it doesn't make sense. Move on. I think that's an extremely important business point that you just made right there which is we also are all not good at every aspect of our business. And so there are somebody else who's better at it. And um, something came up recently who, and they were saying like, who, who's your best client? And my best clients are other business owners because they understand and value what I'm good at. Right. So, so you're absolutely right. It should, should be cheaper and easier and faster when you have a specialty kind of going in there. But and historically our best clients are engineers and architects because they know <laughs> what they want. They it's it's true. They know exactly what they want. They are clear about it and you understand what the target is. It makes it very easy to hit it. The the least uh desirable client for me is the person who doesn't really care about the project. You know, it's like, oh well I I just want more space. So I just want to take that wall out. And we take that wall out and they are kind of nonplussed. I'm like, you know, do you think you guys could shut off the compressor? I kind of wanted to watch a show. And I'm like, do you realize I just took out the load bearing wall? Like this is a magic trick uh, of, of structural wonder that you've walked by and asked me to turn off the compressor so that you can watch your show. And it's your house, so I'm going to do it. But I'm going to cry all the way home that you don't care about my work that I love so much. You know, it's just... We need clients that care about what we're doing as much as we do, because when, when you're more invested in it than your client, it almost, it, it hurts your heart to work on it. Like it doesn't make sense. Like I'm invested in this. I'm not spending time with my kids today because I'm at your house. I need you to care that I'm here. And if you don't care that I'm here, hire someone else, hire someone that doesn't care. Cause that's what, that's your level of investment. Like you got to at least match my level of investment. It's your house. Come on, man. And they do it financially, and so I guess they, they should get a little bit more of a pass. But when we make these big sweeping changes or, you know, I'll do something stupid like, oh, I spent six hours, you know, custom fabricating this uh, toe kick return uh, and supply system so that all of your ductwork in your kitchen is totally concealed and is going to work perfectly because the throw is perfect here and then it's circulate around it's going to be perfect you're going to be so comfortable in your kitchen and i'm all geeked about it and i show it to them and they're like so where does that go like it's going to be under the island you will never see it you you don't have to do anything no food is going to fall on the floor register like you don't understand how this is a, a feat of engineering and there's fluid dynamics at play and comfort is solved 
and aesthetically it wins because we're going to go ahead and have the cabinet shop CNC slots into the toe kick material. So you don't even see it. You don't know which is supply and return. You just know you're comfortable and your contractor's awesome. That's what you know. That's what I'm giving you. I am so excited about this. What do you think? And I'm like, so the metal's under the cabinet. I'm like, yeah, it's under the cabinet. You never see it. You can't, you can't access it. You can't mess it up. It, it's perfect in every way. I've, I've accomplished cold fishing. This is a, 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 a magic trick in my industry that I'm super satisfied with. And I wanted to share this moment with you because it's your house and you're the one that's going to benefit and your family is going to be thrilled for generations in this kitchen because of the investment that I've made in coming to the table with all the 20 years of jobs put together in my mind and, you know, bouncing stuff off of Joe and he's got the idea and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to fabricate that. Let me fold this. And then they go, I mean, yeah, I guess if I don't have to see it, I mean, it's fine. It's a big piece of metal. I don't want to see it. Like, yeah, it's under the island. We've talked about that already. And now my, my whole experience is ruined. And I'm like, you don't deserve my returns. You don't deserve my ductwork. My fabrication's wasted on you. I'm, you know, running out uh, to the car alone, sad. I can see why you like working for architects and engineers who would totally have geeked out over that oh, yeah. with you it and been like, in. oh yeah, oh wait, well, did you try this or, or wait, is it, yeah, cause I, I can, I can definitely see and understand uh, that because obviously I could see and understand that and I would totally have geeked out over it too. <laughs> and I think that's the other thing that um, I talk with my landscape architect about a lot, right, because I think it's it's maybe easier for people to understand in landscape architecture, but um, is totally true in building is if it's simple and it's easy and it, or not simple, if it's clean and simple and it works perfectly, it was probably very difficult to build. The simple yes. things that look effortless are usually really hard. And so that's a, that's one of the, the, things that drives me crazy with a client who's like, Oh, well this should be cheaper because I just want something that's really simple. And I'm like, right. nah, nah, you sort of don't understand really simple done really well is really complicated, yes. but it's going to look simple when we're done so that it's not fussy and whatever. Like I sometimes think that fussy things, um, happened to cover up other things that were not done very well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, isn't that the mirage of contemporary design? Like, oh, this is going to be so affordable because look, we've eliminated all these transition moldings. Like, right, that's a really important component in my world. I really need those transition moldings to solve all of these problems. So now what you've made is a zero tolerance house where everything has to be plumb level and square in every plane at every time in every season with no tolerance for whether or not you decide that you want a grand piano right there, or if you're gonna put a bouncy house for your kids on the second floor bedroom above it. I can't have any cracks and I can't have anything move. And oh, by the way, I can't have any mud in that little slot that you want to simulate the appearance of where the base would have been. You still want that reveal. You still want that line, but you don't want the baseboard that would make that line that would be super easy for me to execute because that's what we've been doing in carpentry for my whole career. What you want me to do is a specialty tearaway bead that's magic. And that's going to be more. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> exactly. So uh, this whole idea of Thanksgiving leftovers, I feel like we've covered all these random topics, which is um, exactly how a conversation between you and I goes normally. So this is kind <laughs> of like people getting to see behind the curtain of Oz, right? Because this is, this is how everything goes. But 
Before we run out of time, I want to talk just a little bit about our idea for 2021, which is the uh, Heroes of the Built Environment. Now, you came up with this idea, so I'll let you give everybody your interpretation, and then we can chit-chat about how we think it might happen. Yeah, so this is my idea, and I got super excited about it, and so far, everyone that I've told it to is like, huh, except you, because I think you get it. You understand like how cool this could be. So here's the idea. Like as a kid, I love basketball. I'm a one sport guy. Uh, I love basketball. I collected basketball cards and I loved the idea of opening that pack and the excitement of who is going to be in it. And you always got, you know, there's, there's only eight or 12 cards in there and six of them are pure crap. Like it's a player that is only going to be with the, that, that team that one year or his stats are garbage. You know, he's just, those, those cards kind of suck. But in that pack, you also usually would get one or two like really good cards. And it would be, you know, somebody's rookie card or a player that you just really like. And that excitement is something that I want to uh, capitalize on. And I want to use that excitement for good. So my idea was to have Heroes of the Built Environment trading cards. And this would be a conversation starter at, you know, your trade events, the Fine Home Building Summit, the Midwest Building Science Symposium. Uh, the Human Climate Conference, a pack of, of cards in the center of every one of these tables when we can finally get back together, the excitement of opening that pack and then discussing the people in the pack with the guy sitting next to you or the gal across the table that you've never met, you get to share ideas immediately. And for me, because I'm a dad and I didn't think that was going to be a big deal in my life, but it's a, it totally defines who I am now. I want a way to connect with my kids on every level about the things that are so important to me. And I'm super passionate about my work and the people that I learn from. So if I can, uh, you know, just have those cards sitting around the house, that's a, that's a spark for my kids to learn about Vitruvius and the 10 books of architecture. Uh, or, you know, it's really hard to get someone excited about the golden section, but if you see a cool caricature on the front of the card and then you flip it over and see the stats on the back, it's a little bit of history, but it's also a little bit of fun. And so my idea was that we would, we would produce uh, a set, of these trading cards. We would engage our colleagues in this industry because there are so many talented, talented people in this industry who can draw, who can paint, who uh, are, are great writers, uh, people that love to research, fantastic statisticians. There's so much that I don't know. I have to engage other people uh, that are gonna know, like I didn't know who Mies van der Rohe was until I learned it from uh, Steve Basic. I mean, he's less is more, that's his quote, right? So fantastic architect. But I think that there's going to be enough opinions from people that I respect in this industry that we're going to be able to put together a set of cards that includes guys like Larry Hahn, who's obviously a hero to everyone who's ever framed anything or cares about efficiency in any way. There's, there's going to be people excited about Dr. Joe Stebrook, you know, the building science, kind of the godfather, you know, people would put him on the Mount, Mount Rushmore for sure. But then for me, I, I, want, I want a Martin Holiday card. I need a Martin Holiday card. And it's so important to me to have the opportunity to discuss with other people the, the formative ideas that shape their career and their passion that have made up the whole historic pantheon of building. Back when, like Brent Hull always says, you know, the builder used to be the architect and the tradesman and the designer. And, you know, that's what a builder was. And that's what I kind of aspire to. I do a little bit of design. Uh, but we're multifaceted. We're the Swiss Army Knife crew, man. We we do every single task, and 
I respect every single trade and I really respect the opinions of people like you, uh, Mike, Kylie, Brian Pontalillo, Justin Fink, Jake Bruton, Christine Millions, like all these people that I have access to that have taught me so much, they have opinions that I haven't thought about on people that they want to see on these trading cards too. And so this is a fun project that we can all work together on as an industry to produce these cards that are going to be a bridge to meeting another person and learning about something that you didn't know and maybe sharing it with someone else. And I mean, can you imagine how fun it would be to be at IBS and instead of collecting brochures about leak proof showers to be swapping, Oh, Hey, I've got that, uh, got that Larry Hahn card. I don't know if you, uh, if you've seen any of the YouTube videos, like this is a person that you've just met. You don't know this person. And they're like, yeah, I, I'm not really into your Larry Hahn card. But, uh, you know, the Archimedes screw sort of ref revolutionized the movement of fluids. And so if you know about Archimedes, you'd be more interested in this card. And there's going to be all these principles. And, you know, there's, there's also the opportunity for villains. Emily, we talked about this. This is super exciting, too. Like, it's not just the heroes. you got to have that Levitt in there. Because Levittown is sort of, you know, routinely hated on by people who care about style. But it was an important time, you know, after the war. The people have gone over this who are far more intelligent and well-spoken well than I am. But I think that it's a learning tool that we can work together on. And then what you and I talked about yesterday, and maybe you can go into more detail on this, I think we do a podcast uh, pairing with it as we roll these cards out. W would you go ahead and, and describe that? Because I always feel like I talk too much every time I'm on anything. <laughs> I do too. This must be why we are friends, right? You I'm also always feel like, like I talk too much. You're right. No, I talk too much. You talk <laughs> no. just the right amount. I am always enjoying it. So, um, I think the idea of doing the podcast to introduce the series would be um, as a series, either, um, and we haven't really decided, so feel free to weigh in, guys, here on what you would want to do. Um, we've talked about maybe doing a monthly um, on E3 on this podcast here, doing a monthly one where maybe we get some of the current heroes to come on and you know, talk about their experience, nominate another hero, nominate someone, you know, this isn't just going to be the people that Travis and I think are cool. We want other people to weigh in, right? Like, it's not just who we think are cool and who we think is like, oh man, that was, that was a terrible. This person's definitely a villain. Um, but doing a potentially a monthly podcast with heroes who can come on and talk about their background, their story, who influenced them, where they came from. Um, I'm always impressed when I meet somebody who can name an architect other than Frank Lloyd Wright. That is, that is a good day in my world. Um, and so, but we've also talked about potentially just doing a 15 minute podcast, little extra podcast broadcast where we would introduce a, a hero or a villain, talk about them briefly, say, Hey, this card's going to be in the set this year. This is what we're going to do. Um, and so, definitely interested in feedback what you guys would prefer um it'll come up as part of the e3 podcast we'll have great guests we'll have a heroes of the built environment series you'll get building science shorts like i've been doing previously so um just a way to kind of keep the int the information interesting and i find that the trading cards are a great way that you know maybe some of them will have a great quote on it and that'll be the thing that you hang up every year um so so here here i like meditation and yoga and all of those things and so every year in december i pick a word for the following year and that's the the concentration for the for the following year what you know what we're gonna 
work towards. So two years ago, the word was joy, right? I needed to focus on not working all the time, not doing all that stuff. Are the decisions I'm making this year bringing joy to, to my life and my family? And that was my word for the year. And so, you know, maybe your building science trading card is going to be a person or a quote from a person that you're like, yeah, I can get behind that. And maybe it's one year or maybe it's forever. Maybe it's your inspiration that you get, but I could see these trading cards being conversation starters. Like, Hey, Travis, I don't know you. Uh, I got this card, like blah, blah, blah. What do you think about X, Y, and Z? And so it's a great kind of icebreaker for when we can get back together in person and start we talk a lot, you're wearing it today, the Keep Craft Alive t-shirt. We talk about getting really interested in in building the built environment. I'm a huge proponent of, of women in this field, right? Because it's not as common. So I, I've, I'm going to push for a whole packet of the ladies from the built environment as well. Uh, so and this so, is, go ahead. I was going to say, so I, I think that there, you know, this is an ongoing thing. We're going to try it out, test it out in 2021, just get it off the ground, see where it goes. But I could see this being, you know, a great way to, for, for those people who maybe are going into schools or programs, trying to get people who aren't in the built environment interested in it. You know, you gotta, gotta have something that's kind of fun, quirky. And yes, the fun know, element it, cannot be overstated. That's such an important part of it. And then you also uh, picked up where I left off. One of the most important I parts of this idea was that the idea of creating these cards would be that they would be for sale and we're already working people. I'm selling construction work. I'm not selling cards. The money's going to go to keep craft a lot. So that's a really important part of this. It's not just about the education side of it. It's also about like, Hey, this would be a cool thing to do. And I guess I haven't talked to Rob Yagan about this. I'm assuming they'll accept my money. Uh, if we produce the cards and sell them to them, uh, excuse me, and then send the money to to keep craft alive. I'm sure that they can put it in the right hands. But there's there's something really cool that was done in in trading cards back when I used to care about that. When there's like a three year period in my life where I collected basketball cards, but it was super fun. They would have all these little cool subsets. And so when you mentioned like the ladies of building science or the ladies of whatever, there were there were always groups like that. Like um, you know the 1998 Fleer defenders of the realm, and it'd be you know, like guys that were focused on defense first. And so even though they were normally not a super valuable card, if you got that defenders of the realm card where it's, oh, you know, this guy has 20 blocks. That's crazy. That's a lot of blocks. So we, we have people putting up stats in our field that, you know, that are focused on these elements. I think we can do a lot of cool subsets and it does start the conversation and carry it forward. Like you said, with, with people that we don't even know about, this is going to be this is going to be a neat podcast to work through with you because you and I have different perspectives from our different climates and also with your energy auditing background. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a dirt under the fingernails guy. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be bringing people to the table that are, are probably not your regular uh, rubbing elbows guys too. So we're going to be able to broaden each other's perspective. It's going to be super fun. And then for the listenership, like Emily said, this is totally a uh, get involved. You know, if you've already got the sketch working, save me the trouble, man. I'm not a great sketch artist. I don't want to do this. I really wanted Kylie Jacques, who is the editor at Green Building Advisor, who is also a very skilled oil painter, to do some of the portraits. And I sent her a message about it. And she was like, ooh, trading cards. I work big. 
I was like, oh, oh, dang it. Like, that would have been so cool for the Rembrandt of the building science industry to put together a portrait of. It can start big, though. We can let her paint it big, you know, and then we'll just shrink it down for reproduction for the trading card. And then they can hang at the uh, Fine Home Building Hall of Fame. Or maybe it's like the golden ticket uh, in, in the cards. If you get a gold card, you get one of Kylie's original paintings. How cool would that be, right? Dude. Especially if it's, um, you know, with some of them, I, I mean, the, so the trading cards of the built environment, maybe the hero of the built environment might be a building, right? Sure, it, maybe yeah, or concept. Or concept, or yeah, the, the Vitruvian man or whatever. So, so, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean you'd have to hang a, a photo of uh, Joe Stebrick on your wall, right? I mean, right. it could be, it could be a, a. It should be conceptual too, for sure. Like we've talked about this before, and this is something that could have come up in Thanksgiving leftovers. We talked about doing a um, sort of a, a in defense of uh, design of style, in defense of style uh, was something we talked about because you and I both uh, abhor the split level house and with good reason. Uh, but there are, you know, craftsmen is probably my favorite style. So I would love to see a trading card that, you know, has maybe two or three examples of quintessential uh, craftsman style homes. And then on the back, you know, you've got your stat sheet like this. This was a period from this time to this time. And elements are typically this, this and this. And it's a it's a great learning tool, but it's also fun. And, you know, we work hard enough that we deserve to have a little bit of fun. And, you know, the nerdiness aspect of it, I'm OK being a nerd about stuff like this because it's it's really cool. Yeah, I'm totally okay with being a nerd. Uh, I, I'm, I've always, always been, fairly certain, always yeah. been. So um, I only became self-aware of my nerddom later in life. I always thought I was much cooler than I was until I got a little perspective. I was like, oh yeah, total dork. Got it. Good to know. And now I lean into it, and then that makes it cool again. I've just always been uh, completely on board with my nerdiness like whatever I was just super interested in, uh, you know, Advanced. it's, I was okay with not being the cool kid. I did a lot of really cool things that I enjoyed, you know, things that you and I both, both share a passion for photography, being in the theater, doing, doing all those things. Um, which saying that out loud now as an adult kind of makes us sound pretty nerdy. Right. But we oh, thought they were kind of cool, but you know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, I wasn't I, cool as an elementary school student. I knew I was a dork. And then through middle school, yeah, still very aware of being a dork. But then at my high school, they had uh, a weird, like my high school was super bad at athletics. There was no, there was no uh, cool points for being on any of the teams because we were terrible at everything. However, our theater department was like number two in the nation. And I happened to get into theater. So then I was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm cool. <laughs> I wasn't really. But because I had aligned myself with something that was successful for the first time in my school history, it's like, oh, this is what it's like to be cool. Right on. No, still a dork. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. Um, our football team, the years that I was in high school, lost 33 games straight, right? <laughs> but our band won band competitions across the nation. They were amazing we had the best marching band so everybody went to the football games to watch the band because that was cool 
Absolutely. We Our had, drum major was the homecoming queen. We had a similar situation. It was like, that yeah. was the cool thing to do was be part of band, be in the theater. That's, That's awesome. Right. That's right. So, I mean, we had some good sports teams too. I had a, I went to a really unique high school. Um, we were, they were known for academics. Um, we had an amazing soccer and field hockey team. I played field hockey in, in high school. Um, so we had some sports that were great. Football was not one of them. Um, and we also, I grew up in a farming community, so it was a farming high school as well. And I, I'll never forget. It was my, my absolute favorite tour of the school. I don't even remember why I was on it or who he was giving a tour to, but the valedictorian of my class walked by the ag win wing while he was doing the tour and says, I think they build tractors in there. Uh. <laughs> I don't think that's yeah. accurate. No, that's, that's not exactly what they do in there, but that's cool. So it's all fine. So we had a lot of diversity and I was very lucky because I had, um, we had drafting, we had woodshop, we had all of that stuff in high school. And um, that's not as common for a lot of people. We had an electronics lab where people who went on to be engineers built robots out of Legos that they made them do things you know so we had a lot of really interesting extra well i don't even know what they call them they're not extracurricular they're part of the curriculum but there was a lot of exploratory courses Expo. yeah that people could take other than just your typical math and sciences um, um my husband got a good laugh uh, when i said i took oceanography astronomy that was one of the science classes i took it was an amazing class with an awesome instructor That's and he was like yeah we we didn't have that you know like we had bio and chemistry and you know so so i just i lucked out that the high school that i went to just had a lot of opportunity for creative thought which was you know not now thinking about it i wonder if it was part of what led me to say like i can do whatever i want because there was just sure. a ton of opportunity right so there were there was lots of things presented to me as you know you can be an art student you can be an ag student you can be a tech student you can be into yeah, that's some great perspective really having, cool wacky sciences having that perspective now looking back i can see like oh yeah we i mean I wasn't in every show uh, in the theater department. I built sets. It's kind of like where I started building stuff. And so that, that's, that makes sense. And then I had two of the best uh, art teachers. Um, I'm going to say anywhere because I haven't had art teachers anywhere else. So, you know, my perspective counts. It's my limited experience. But my uh, ceramics teacher is nationally recognized uh, at the high school level. He was exceptional. Um, and then my photography teacher, well, suffice it to say, my photography teacher was Sally Jones, and my daughter's name is Sally. So you can tell how I feel about her and the exceptional way that she shaped my life. Like these are these are wonderful experiences that that we were fortunate enough to share in our in our nerdy early years. And now we're leaning into new nerdiness with the Heroes of the Built Environment podcast and cards to benefit the people who are going to keep craft alive in the next generation. So. Right. It's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool, fun thing that we can work together on uh, with colleagues in our industry. And I really hope that, you know, you usually put the uh, new podcast episode up on your Instagram. I really would like uh, for anyone who actually listens to this that uh, has the time and the inclination, I would love to see the DM or I guess the comments rather. You will see the DMs. I will only see the comments. 
uh, that include well, you, you can post it on yours too, and oh, yeah. then they yeah, can you DM you as well. You feel free to send it to either Travis or I. We're going to work together on this project. Uh, I would say we're going to spearhead this project. We'd love to have people um, contribute. I think that that's the best summation for it. If if anyone's not quite sure how to envision this, here's the, here's the challenge. Do you have a, a sense, Emily, of whether we should have this old house as a unit on the card, or if we should have a separate Norm, a separate Tommy, a separate Roger? Like, I, I think those those are the the conversations that. I think people can have around their fireplace at the holidays and make the determination of whether or not they want to be part of this with us. Cause that's the, that's the fun stuff that we can do. We can, we can have fun with this. I think the answer to that question is both because I think there'll be different series. Ooh. I think there could be a, this old house and fine home building and green building advisor and, you know, building science corporation. There can be a concept publication type cart. I mean, who knows what you, what you might want to collect and then there are the heroes of those institutions you know and and yes. the rookies like who are the young people making major advances right now and i don't even want to say young in the terms of you can be uh this is your second career that you're coming into building science and and, and bringing it up young is an age young is you know uh, is new to building something in in the built environment, you know, whether it's building science or mechanicals or it's, you know, construction, keeping craft alive, bringing craft back, whatever your, you know, or, or the, the mats of the world who are teaching the next generation, like there are some really cool rookie season people. So, so I think we, we, um, we got to pick a couple of topic areas to put people in, right? So it could be people, could be topics, could be buildings, could be, all kinds of things. So I'd love to hear people weigh in on, you know, what would you want to collect? What do you want to, it to say on the card? Yeah. What should it, you know, attach to? I've had lots of people reach out to me over the years about resources. Like, where do I start? Where do I look for this? You know, could these cards be resources? I mean, that's, we love to play board games. Maybe these are resource cards. <laughs> There you go. Maybe, you know, your QR code idea that you keep going back to, maybe we, we put the in-depth resource through QR code on the back, but I still want the, I want the old school fun appeal of here's the cliff notes about this item. Here's, Absolutely. Here's active. Uh, let's see, years active, like for sports, it was always like, what college did they come out of and what city are they from? And, you know, what's their career stats and all this? Like I'm, I'm envisioning, uh, well, people like Steve Basic or Pete Yost that like, okay, they were at Building Sides Corporation and now Pete's a teacher at Yale. And like, this is the, this is the stats that you run down and like contributions to the industry. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't even know where to start with a lot of these guys, but definitely there's going to be some heavy hitters that have huge paragraphs of like, this is what they gave us. This is what we walked away with. And then there, that QR code can send them for the deep dive. You know, the, the concepts, like I think you and I talked about this before, we could probably include um, people like Willis Carrier. Like we have air conditioning because of Willis Carrier. He, he that. And then someone else would have come up with it, but that's the guy who's credited. So he, yeah, he gets a card. It's a big deal in our industry. We have to have air conditioning for a lot of these climates to have indoor environments that work. So he gets the card. It's on his stat sheet. Probably not going to be a really high, highly sought after card. 
because the personality is not huge and big and boisterous, but then there are other people that are going to get by so much on their impact and their personality. And there could be an educators of the built environment series that includes, I want to see Matt Reisinger in there. Matt's taught me a lot. I've been watching videos that he did since way before I knew what half the stuff meant. So that's a big deal to me. I think that makes sense. I think there's uh, people that should get a little bit more love than uh, they get now. I know that everyone in our industry or in our kind of, what would you, I always hate to call it the echo room because that feels like, or echo chamber. I feel like that's real negative, but we, we have a kind of a, an intense small group of maybe a couple hundred people that all know that Coda is an incredible resource. And if you don't know Coda, Building Science Corporation, if you hear him talk for like five minutes, you go, oh, I need like 20 hours to unpack this. He's just the depth of knowledge and it's so immediate recall. He's an encyclopedia. And I feel like he forgets more as he has lunch than I will learn over my career. So he gets a card for sure, right? Like these are the debates that we can have. People don't necessarily know him, but they know Building Science Corp. And people in our industry certainly know him and he's so well respected. But, you know, I, I, I want to make it a broad thing that brings people in. It's got to be inclusive to people that are not just building science people, not just architects, not just engineers, not just builders. So it's going to be so big. It can go on in a way that doesn't have to be like the seasons of sports teams are very limited. You know, this is the 1998, 1999 FLIR basketball cards. That's a very finite loop. You had to play that year. This is so far reaching and so inclusive to everything that puts together the built environment. I mean, I gotta have a, a Christoph Irwin, spiritual leader of the BS and Beer Show. He's gotta get a card because what he's done with his podcast and what Positive Energy does, it's so socially responsible. It's a leader in our industry, not just because they're so freaking good at what they do, but because they're so concerned about everything that it affects and where we're going. Like, I don't know. I, I just, I'm so excited about this. I can't stop talking about it. We could go on for two hours and everyone already stopped listening. And I'm sorry to be so verbose, but my enthusiasm is just completely, you can't stop it. It can't be contained. It's a juggernaut. Look out. It is. It's an amazing idea that I think has so much merit. And if nothing else, is just going to be a lot of fun for the two of us. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if no one else comments on this at all, you and I are still going to be busy for the next three years putting this together. Absolutely. We're going to give it to you whether you want it or not. How's that? That's right. It raised $0 <laughs> for Keep Craft Alive and cost Emily and I 30 grand in time and resources over the next few years. But nerd's got a nerd. Nerd's got a nerd. So... I know on that, you have to go get back to, uh, you know, we both have to get back to the whole uh, things we do outside of the fun discussions on nerdy building science and building and architecture and all the other things that we do. Um, so thanks right. for coming on today. And I look forward to, I see you every Thursday, but I look forward to having you on the podcast and people tuning in uh, more frequently with you on. So. It's going to be super fun. Emily, thank you as always for your friendship and your time. You're awesome. I can't wait to do this with you. It's going to be great. 
As season two of the podcast is wrapping up here in 2020, I just want to take the time to say thank you to everyone who has listened and sent comments and requested certain guests that they'd love to hear on the show, as well as the people who have participated in the show. I couldn't have made it happen without you. I'm thrilled that you took the time out of your busy schedules to talk building science, uh, architecture, building with me this season. So thank you again to all of the guests who came on the show and shared their knowledge with the people who are tuning in weekly to listen. Um, And again, thanks for uh, your patience in releasing the last couple of podcasts here at the end of 2020. It's been a long year for all of us. I know some of you have said that you had trouble keeping up with the podcast being released weekly. So um, hopefully you had some time to catch up on the podcast if that was uh, on your to-do list. And if not, the shows will be there. So check in anytime. If you have suggestions and things you'd like to hear in 2021, I'm all ears. And full disclosure, we did not ask Kylie ahead of time if she'd be even willing to sell a painting if she did a large-scale version, but we are interested in artists, writers, other people who are excited about building the built environment, the history of building, and the rookies of building building science and where we're going. So if you have any interest in the project, please reach out to either myself or Travis and let us know how you would like to uh, participate in the project as we move that forward in 2021. So have a wonderful holiday. If I don't hear or see you again in 2020, uh, cheers to 2021.